Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. With Colorado's new data security law and increased data security regulation worldwide in 2018, Aaron Eisline moderates a discussion with Esteban Morin, Annalisa Mullis, and Nancy Strelau about complying with the new regulatory landscape being created by state data security and privacy laws, including how the Colorado law applies to the ERISA and healthcare contexts. Welcome to another episode of the Brownstein Podcast Series. My name is Erin Eisline, and I am a member of the healthcare group here at Brownstein. Recently, we hosted a panel event entitled Protecting Personal Information, the New Colorado Data Security Law and Beyond. And we decided to regroup and present this information in a podcast. So far, 2018 has been quite the year for new privacy laws right here in Colorado, around the country, and internationally as well. We have been assisting clients navigating these new laws and wanted to share some of what we're seeing and learning with you. Let me introduce our panel. First, we have Esteban Morin. Esteban's practice focuses on privacy, data security, and technology transactions. He assists companies with their compliance needs, including developing policies, responding to security incidents, and coordinating with vendors and regulators. Next, we have Annalisa Mullis. Annalisa is a member of our healthcare and litigation practice groups here at Brownstein. She represents healthcare organizations and professionals in a variety of litigation matters, and she also counsels them on a wide array of state and federal healthcare laws and regulations, including the privacy laws. Annalisa has devoted a considerable amount of time to pro bono work, including counseling nonprofits with regard to a variety of HIPAA matters. And we also have Nancy Strelow. Nancy's practice focuses on employee benefits, executive compensation, and ERISA litigation. Nancy is well known for her ability to guide and educate planned fiduciaries as to their responsibilities under ERISA. Her experience encompasses a full range of employee benefits, including advising clients regarding compliance with applicable federal law, coordination among state laws, and the impact of new legislation, rulings, and regulations like these new data privacy and security laws. And now I'm going to turn the floor over to Esteban to set the stage for our discussion and provide a brief overview of the changing landscape. Thanks, Erin. So as Erin mentioned, We really are in a watershed moment for privacy and data security laws this year. You can really see that by juxtaposing it with where we were 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you saw a lot of legislation being passed that protected companies who were entering e-commerce or publishing material online, laws such as the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Fast forward to today, and we're seeing a lot of those protections rolled back and more rights being given to consumers with regards to what information they have about how their data is collected, stored, used, processed, and shared, and limitations on what companies can do with that information and what disclosures they have to give. This is particularly evident this year with some of the big and most talked about laws, including the European Union General Data Protection Regulation which provides consumers with rights to access and have their information deleted and imposes a number of security obligations on companies. There's also been the California Consumer Privacy Act and federally FOSTA, which rolls back a lot of the protections which I referenced earlier. Another big development is nationwide, we are reaching the first time in history in which all 50 states have laws requiring notifications in the event of a security incident or data breach. 
This is the first year where all 50 states and most territories have these laws in place. And Colorado, where we are all based, passed its own revised version of a data breach notification law a couple months ago that goes into effect in September. This law represents more stringent requirements, both in terms of how data is protected, what what notifications have to be provided in the event of a breach, as well as potentially increased liability, which we'll talk about later, and really represents the shifting landscape that we are in. Thank you for that overview, Esteban. Let's start our discussion today with the new Colorado data privacy law. Can you tell us about this new law and some trends in breach response laws nationwide and how those trends are reflected in this new Colorado law? Certainly. So every few months um, and for the past few years, we have been seeing new data protection laws being introduced and existing ones being revised to be more stringent. And the thing to realize is that all of these laws relate to where the data subject is located, meaning where the individual whose information is being collected or, or whose information is compromised in the event of a breach is based, which means that if you're a company that does online commerce, if you are the subject of a breach and you have information from individuals from all 50 states, you are subject to the laws of every one of those states. And as laws become more stringent, such as a Colorado law, um, those requirements and the difficulty of balancing the requirements of all 50 of those laws and regulations increases. So it really does vary state by state, but the trend is things are becoming more stringent, and the Colorado law represents a few of those trends. Most notably, it requires that any company that is a victim of a breach that involves the personal data of Colorado residents provide notification to those residents within 30 days as a drop-dead deadline. It also requires that companies maintain reasonable security to protect personal information and for companies located in Colorado that they maintain an information destruction and management policy. Annalisa, these new data breach notification requirements are nothing new to those in the healthcare industry. Covered entities have long had data breach notification obligations under HIPAA. How does the new Colorado data privacy law affect Colorado HIPAA-covered entities. Healthcare is very familiar with data breach notification obligations, and I think the biggest takeaway for HIPAA-covered entities with regard to the new Colorado data privacy law is um, there's a shorter notification requirement than covered entities might be used to under HIPAA. So under HIPAA, you have 60 calendar days to report after discovery of a breach to the affected individuals and um, in some cases to health and human services, or in all cases to health and human services and things like that. Under the new Colorado data privacy law, the time period is shorter, so you only have 30 days after the date of that a determination of a security breach occurred. And that is actually defined in the statute to be the point in time at which there's sufficient evidence to conclude a security breach has taken place. There is also a requirement that breaches affecting more than 500 Colorado residents be reported to the Colorado Attorney General. And it's going to be really important for HIPAA-covered entities to check all of their business associate agreements to make sure that their business associates are required to report any breaches or suspected breaches to the covered entity in a sufficient amount of time for the covered entity to meet this new 30-day deadline and um, be able to report to the AG. So in terms of the new 
law requiring entities to require that their vendors implement and maintain reasonable security procedures. What is the best way to really operationalize that requirement for entities that do have those kinds of contracts with third parties to make sure that they are complying with these new obligations under Colorado state law? Um, Well, I think that one important thing is to generally just make sure that you have open lines of communication. Um, A lot of companies are scared to talk to their vendors or third parties about this because they're worried there'll be pushback. But if you are dealing with a company and exchanging data with them, and particularly if you're in a regulated industry involving healthcare information, financial information, um, or any number of other areas that have very specific data protection or privacy laws, it's your vendor's obligation to be on top of this. And I guarantee that you are not the first person to be asking them about this. So I think that the first thing is to make sure you have an open line of communication, somebody you can speak with at that vendor or at that third party who is in charge about this and who will be your point of contact and who you can raise issues to and talk about it with. And number two, I think it's important to remember that you are in this together. An increasing trend in data privacy and um, protection laws is having joint liability um, for any two parties that share information. The GDPR, which is in effect and applies to any company, including U.S. companies that collect, process, store, share the data of European Union residents, makes it very clear that whether you are the one collecting the data or the one receiving the data, um, whether you're a data controller or a data processor, if that information is not treated appropriately or violates the law, both of you um, are on the hook. So I think companies are and third parties are very open to having these discussions because they know that if they screw up, you're on the line. And likewise, if you screw up, they are on the line. I'll just add to that this security procedures and practices provision in the Colorado data privacy law. Actually, HIPAA-covered entities are probably to a large extent exempt from this as to data that is covered by HIPAA because there's a provision in the law that specifies that if you are already subject to another state or federal law requiring you to undertake these security practices and procedures and that you're in compliance with that other state or federal law, you'll also be in compliance with this Colorado data privacy law. But I think it will be important for HIPAA-covered entities to check for any data they might have that is covered by this Colorado data privacy law, but that it would not fall under HIPAA so that they would have new obligations now to have security procedures and practices with regard to that new data and then make sure that they go out to their vendors, their third-party service providers, and make sure that those third-party service providers are agreeing to implement security procedures and practices for any personal identifying information that the, the entity is sharing with that provider. And procedurally, we are recommending that everyone take a look at their HIPAA business associate agreements to make sure that they are up to date and have provisions that reflect any changes that the Colorado law or any other state law may have that impacts those provisions in the business associate agreement. And I would say as a general matter, now is a great time to look at any agreements you have with third parties that involve data um, and your internal policies. In addition to um, a huge number of new requirements coming into effect this year and which are slated to come into effect this coming year, you also have fines and liability, which is greatly increasing. A lot of these laws for the first time subject companies who are the victim of a data breach or security incident to class action lawsuits to increase fines under attorneys general to private rights of action. And in the case of the GDPR, 
fines that can be upwards of 3% of a company's global annual revenue. So we're getting to a point where privacy and data security is not just a matter of avoiding a slap on the wrist and public embarrassment, but um, having penalties that actually can have a real impact on a company's viability. Nancy, turning to ERISA, how does the new Colorado law impact benefit plans that are subject to ERISA? That's a good question. Um, If an employee benefit plan is subject to ERISA, then ERISA preemption might save the plan from having to comply with the Colorado and other state privacy laws. Um, Just to put in context what ERISA privacy is for those listening who don't know what that is, um, there's essentially two types of ERISA privacy. Uh, The first is what's called complete preemption, which is found under Section 502 of ERISA. Under complete preemption, um, any state law cause of action that duplicates, supplements, or supplants ERISA civil enforcement remedies conflicts with congressional intent to make ERISA remedy exclusive and therefore would be preempted. The second form of preemption is what's called express preemption, and that's found under Section 514 of ERISA. Under express preemption, all state laws that relate to ERISA plans are preempted. What does it mean to be related to? Essentially, a state law relates to an ERISA plan by having the courts look at, first, the objectives of the ERISA statute as a guide to the scope of the state law, and then the nature of the effect of the state law on the ERISA plan. ERISA express preemption doesn't apply if the state law has only a tenuous, remote, or peripheral connection with ERISA plans. ERISA express preemption often is used to assert that a particular state law is not applicable because ERISA supersedes it. ERISA's express preemption provision, however, contains a broad exception, which saves uh, state laws that regulate insurance from preemption. According to the Supreme Court, a law must be specifically directed towards the insurance industry and it must regulate insurance practices in order to be saved from express preemption. So now we have kind of a context of what preemption is. Analyzing whether or not ERISA preempts state privacy laws is pretty challenging. Um, The analysis, first of all, requires a thorough analysis of, of applicable case law. And because the outcome is dependent on specific facts and circumstances of a particular situation, it can be difficult to predict an outcome. When I looked, there's really not a whole lot of cases that address ERISA preemption of state privacy and security laws, particularly in the health information context. Of the cases that exist, many of which are in California, a number were decided before HIPAA's effective date. So we really don't know what the court's would wind up deciding in a in a current case uh, seeking preemption. So I don't think we've yet arrived at being in a place where we can generalize whether ERISA preempts state privacy laws or not. I think what we can say is that if the preemption claim is for a reason unrelated to making a benefit determination or performing a legitimate plan administrative task, a court is less likely to find that ERISA preempts the state privacy law. ERISA preemption also, uh, the analysis has general focus on the plan's ability to apply a uniform plan administration 
So finding that ERISA does not have to comply with the myriad state privacy laws, which otherwise would be administratively complex and expensive to comply with, seems to be the type of result that ERISA preemption was specifically intended to avoid. We know business entities have the same dilemma, but unfortunately they don't have ERISA preemption law to rely on. And as most of our listeners may know, group health plans that are subject to ERISA also are likely subject to HIPAA. HHS has considered how HIPAA's preemption provision impacts ERISA preemption. Um, And just briefly, HIPAA preemption requires compliance with more stringent or complementary state privacy laws, but void state laws where a covered entity would find it impossible to comply with both HIPAA and the state law or if the state law creates an obstacle to accomplishing the objectives of HIPAA. HHS concluded that the courts have the final say on whether HIPAA preemption would usurp ERISA preemption. But for now, HHS suggests that the plans should conduct ERISA preemption analysis independently of any HIPAA preemption analysis. So, you know, I think if an employer is able to conclude that ERISA preemption supersede state privacy laws, then the plan would be able to treat HIPAA's privacy laws as establishing a single national standard for that plan. In the case of an employer plan that's not subject to ERISA, for example, a governmental plan, uh, the plan likely will have to comply with state privacy and security laws because the employer sponsoring the plan is not in a position to be able to claim that ERISA would preempt those state laws. But nevertheless, kind of like Annalisa said, Those employers should look at the state laws because some of those laws apply to specific types of entities, specific groups, and not to others. So there's a possibility that the law applies to, for example, a healthcare provider, but doesn't apply to a health plan. So plan sponsors should take a look at the law um, to, to make a determination whether or not it would apply you know, in the case of a non-ERISA plan. All that being said, (laughs) I really do have to question whether or not a hybrid employer, what a hybrid employer will do if if part of its business is has to comply with the state privacy requirements, but its benefit plans are exempt from those state laws due to ERISA preemption. Um, Does it make sense to have two separate compliance programs running side by side? Uh, you know, one for the ERISA plans and one for the business. I also query what impact on ERISA plan fiduciary liability if a plan adopts the more stringent state privacy law as its standard. I would think, hope, that this would give the fiduciary some added protection in the event of a claim of breach of fiduciary duty. And certainly a, a prudent ERISA plan fiduciary should look into purchasing some sort of privacy liability insurance. I mean, that seems to be what a current trend is. And that's probably great advice for many companies, not just Mm -hmm. companies that have ERISA plans. Mm -hmm. So we have a year where we have new international legislation, federal legislation, state legislation. What are some best practices for uh, companies to keep track of this changing regulatory landscape with regard to privacy and data security? I think that the um, first thing companies should think about is just make sure that they are proactive, make sure they have somebody who is responsible internally for this, because the landscape really is changing on a month-to-month and sometimes a week-to-week basis. And if you don't keep up with it, it's very easy to let things slip. 
Uh, for example, if you have a breach response plan that accounts for certain deadlines, if you didn't keep up to date on what's going on in Colorado, um, as of September, your plan will be out of date. So I think the first important thing is to take this seriously, make sure that you do have somebody internal who is responsible for keeping track of this stuff, and make sure that that person is sufficiently integrated into the company and has buy-in from people who are high enough to make a difference. So you want to make sure this person can easily interact with people in the technology space of your company, with the C-suite um, and the executives who are the big decision makers, HR, and all the other stakeholders in any kind of privacy program. And the reason why this is so important, in addition to just keeping up with actual new deadlines and laws, is because a lot of these laws are crafted to make sure that companies are on top of this and to make sure that their existing policies and practices will become obsolete naturally. Um, as we mentioned earlier, um, making sure that you have reasonable security does change year to year and will change as um, companies and entities grow. If you acquire a new company, if you change your business practice, if you restructure, you very well may have new types of data, new types of information, and new obligations. So being proactive is the first important step. Um, a second really important thing, which Annalisa um, already mentioned, is make sure that you're aware of what's happening to your information um, when it's not in your possession. So make sure you coordinate with third parties, make sure you coordinate with vendors, make sure you have contracts in place that limit your liability and get assurances from third parties that they are treating your data appropriately and in compliance with um, all of the relevant laws. And I would say that a third important point is just to make sure that you do have plans in place that you can implement. Um, it's great to have a breach response plan, and every company should have one, but if you can't implement it, then it's not going to do you any good. And the same is true for an information security policy, a clean desk policy, and any number of the other um, numerous policies that make up a effective information governance or data security plan. So what you can do to make sure that's effective is to make sure you have tabletop exercises and practice runs, make sure that everybody who is responsible for the policy is aware of their responsibilities and know how knows what they have to do and how to react in the event of a crisis, um, and make sure that those people are reminded on an annual basis and that your policies are reviewed annually to reflect changes in your company, changes in law, and changes in personnel. Um, those are kind of the three that come to my mind um, off the bat. I think training and education are really important, and I think Annalisa could probably speak more to that. I guess the the one thing that kind of concerns me with regard to Esteban's you know, list of preferred things to do is what does a small employer do? Um, I think small employers will have some difficulty trying to complete all of these tasks, um, you know, because they've got fewer people. But I think, as we all know, compliance is as best you can and as reasonable as you can, given what information you have and what information you touch. And, you know, perhaps a smaller employer doesn't have as much privacy data as a larger employer. So their compliance with the law may be less than what it would be for a larger employer. Right. And regulators acknowledge that. Um, the notion of proportionality has been big both with the FTC and with European regulators. So there really are varying standards and there is a, um, a fair amount of empathy for smaller companies. 
But it really does depend on the sensitivity of the information you have, the complexity of your company, and if something happens, how bad of a mistake it was. So it is a sliding scale. And our advice to clients, no matter what size, you know, whether it's a giant company with a million employees and super sensitive data or, you know, a mom, pa, Joe's data shack type company, um, our first advice is always don't panic. You know, there's a way to make sure that we do this right, but also um, account for uh, minimizing business disruption and cost. You know, there is no one size fits all approach to compliance and privacy and data security. It really has to be custom tailored for it to be effective. And I think that's an excellent point that you raised, Nancy. It really is, should be customized to the particular business or entity and that entity's needs. Well, I think Esteban and Nancy, you two are both right on in, in your advice about best practices to employers. And I think keeping track of the changing regulatory landscape is going to be tough, but there are best practices that everybody can implement that will be a good idea and look good for the company no matter what the regulatory landscape is. And those are things like knowing what your data is. How does it enter your company? What does it do when it's there? How does it leave? Um, how can we make sure it's protected while it's in the company? As Nancy mentioned, training employees to make sure that they're sensitive to these issues, that they're not going to fall prey to phishing scams, and um, that they know th basic things like Please don't share your passwords. Please don't write down your passwords on sticky notes that you stick to your monitor. Please don't set your password to be password, things like that. So I think there's a lot of best practices that can and should be implemented no matter what specific laws require with regard to breach notification periods and who in the state you have to notify about things like that. Well, thank you, Annalisa, Nancy, and Esteban for sharing your thoughts with us today. That brings us to the end of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.